Good morning. Hey, I'm Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be able to share this message with you this morning. There's something that I've observed about the human heart and life in general, which is this, is that everybody the world over prays. Christians pray, Muslims pray, Jewish people pray, Sikhs pray, Hindus pray, agnostics pray, even atheists will pray from time to time. It may be a prayer like, God, I'm not sure you're there, but, or I'm not sure if you're listening, God, but if you're out there, and then the prayer follows. That prayer is something that is inside the human heart, that God has put inside every human heart. Here's the other thing that I've noticed, is that when it comes to Christians, just about every Christian I know says something like this, I want my prayer life to be better, or I wish that I was better at praying. Just about every Christian says that. Now, what each person means may be a little bit different. One person may say that and say, I want to be able to pray better, meaning that they want God to answer more of their prayers the way that they would want. Or it could be meaning I want to be able to concentrate more when I pray because my mind goes all scattered. Or it could mean that I want to be more passionate about my prayers. And that may be what somebody means when they say, I want to be better at prayer. But everybody that I talk to says, I want to pray better. Very rarely, never actually would be very rarely, it would be never. Have I ever met somebody who says, my prayer life is awesome. It's perfect. I don't need any help in my prayer life. It's perfect. It's great. That all of us want to grow in our capacity and ability and passion when it comes to prayer. But I would suggest this, that one of the reasons that our prayer lives aren't as good as we might want them to be or aren't as good as they could be is because our prayers are too safe. That we pray safe prayers like, Lord, bless me. Lord, be with so-and-so. Lord, help this person. And we pray prayers that are too safe. And so what we're doing over the course of this three-week series is we were lear- that we're learning what does it mean to pray dangerous prayers, to pray prayers that start with, search me. And that's what we talked about last week, is we talked about this prayer where we say, search me, God. And we took this from Psalm 139, and it says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And I want to get everybody up to speed with what does it mean to have a search me prayer. Because this message, what we're going to do this morning, builds on that. That when we say search me, what we're saying is, God, reveal to me the sin in my life. God, bring to the surface the junk that is in my life. And to do that, it takes slowing down. It takes some stillness. It takes asking the question, God, search me, and then listening for his answers. And when we do that, when we take time to say, search me, reveal my sin, bring stuff to the surface, we're going to find out that there's some stuff in our hearts that's not so good. There's some sin down there that's not so good. We find out things like the anger that I have in my life is not because of the things that other people do, but it's because of stuff that resides in my heart. We slow down enough and we realize, for some of us, that we get far more of our identity and purpose in what other people think of us instead of what God thinks of us. 
or we slow down and we say, search me, God, and we look at the stuff in our lives and we realize, you know, those aren't things that I can actually say no to. That this thing that I do over and over, which isn't a great thing, is actually a full-blown addiction. And we say, search me. Or how about this? Is we realize, again, when we say search me, that we worry about a lot. And that our worry reveals where we don't trust God. That if I trusted God, I wouldn't worry about this stuff. And that's the stuff that comes up in our hearts as we have this search. Maybe as part of your search, you look at your finances. And you say, I'm not, I don't really give, I'm not really generous. And you realize, again, as you pray this search me prayer, maybe it's because you like your stuff more than you thought you liked your stuff and you don't want to let go of it. And there's all these different things. You know, here's another one. How about this? You reveal, say, God, search me. And God brings up the fact that we pick and choose who we like a lot more than we think we do. Like, I love everybody, but we pick and choose who we like. These are all things that God brings up when we say, search me. This morning, we're going to do something a little bit different is we're going to have communion right in the middle of this message. Because a big part of communion is a search me prayer. In the book of Corinthians, it says this. Paul's giving instructions on how to take communion. It says this. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine yourself. Search yourself. And so we're going to do that this morning as part of communion. I've asked Steve and Crystal and Keith to come back up and lead us in a song that they're going to, they're going to sing for us. And the song is about searching. And here's what I'd like you to do. As they play the words of this song, as the communion elements are passed out, I want you to take time and search your own heart. Ask God to reveal to you the things that he wants to show you in your life. And what you're going to find is that God will bring stuff up and then we can confess that to God. And then what I want you to do is take the cup, which represents the blood of Christ poured out for you, and the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for you, and then take it. Because what that does is that points you to the cross, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And so we confess our sin and we recognize that Jesus paid the penalty on the cross for our sins. If you've never been here for communion at River Ridge Church, you're welcome to take communion. The only thing we ask is that you place your faith in Christ. And if you haven't placed your faith in Christ yet, maybe this morning would be the time that you do that. That you would say, I can't work my way to heaven. I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross for me. Take time search your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to remember and reflect on the cross. God, as we do that, show us our sin. Show us the things that keep us from you. Show us the ways that we have wronged you. Show us the ways that we have wronged other people. Bring that to the surface. Reveal it to us that we might confess it and lay it at the foot of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the book of Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have forgiveness of sins. And we celebrate communion, we take communion to remind us of that truth that we don't need to feel guilt or shame or the punishment of our sin because Christ has taken that upon himself. Psalm 139, verse 24, it says this, See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we just did, the first half of that. See if there's any offensive way in, in me. We look, we say, is there any sin in us? Search me. And then the and is, and lead me in the way everlasting. That the desire that we have is that we wouldn't continue in our sin, but that God would lead us to a new future, a future that has less sin than what was in the past. And so part of this is a confession, which we just did, but part of this is also the change me prayer. And that's the dangerous prayer that we're going to talk about this morning, is we're going to say, Lord, change me. And we're going to talk about what does that mean? How does God go about answering that prayer? How does God change our lives? Do we play a role in that? Is it just him? Do we sit there and just sort of wait on change? Or do we play a role in that? What does it look like for God to change our lives and for us to pray this change me prayer? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at chapter uh, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. And God has been in the business of changing lives for thousands of years. And this is a story of a man who has an encounter with Jesus whose life is changed forever. And we're going to look at this and we're going to look and say, how can we see ourselves in this story that God might change our lives into the future as we pray, Lord, change me. So open up to John chapter 5. Begins this way. It says, now, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. There's a feast of the Jews. It doesn't say which particular one, but whenever there was a feast, there was all kinds of people that would gather in Jerusalem. So tons and tons of people are around in Jerusalem, milling around. And it says this, now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. So there's a place in Jerusalem where there are these pools, and then outside of these pools, there are these colonnades or sort of canopy tented areas, uh, and archaeologists have uncovered these pools, and so here's kind of their rendering of what it looks like. So it says there's five colonnades, so you have four that's in the rectangle, and then the fifth one is sort of the U-shaped one to the left. And so about this place, it says this, it says, um, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, there are all these people who are lying around who are blind, lame, and paralyzed. And part of what I want you to do this morning is I want you, if you can, to put yourself in the story, to insert yourself in the story. And so while there's these people who are lame and blind and paralyzed lying around, I want you to think about that in terms of your own spiritual blindness, your own spiritual lameness, your own spiritual paralysis. Probably some of the things that God has revealed through this search me that we've done last week and through the first part of the message this morning. Now it says, in these lay a multitude of invalids. Why were there all of these invalids? Why are these all these lame and blind and hurting people? Why were they lying there? Good question. 
The answer is actually found, depending on your Bible, it may be found in verse 4 or it may be found in the footnote. Now, I'm going to give you a sort of a little bit of textual kind of thing, a little bit of sort of egghead theology here. Um, But verse 4 says this, and again, it's either in a footnote or maybe it's in your verse, and it says this, waiting for the moving of the water for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so what the deal was is that there was this pool there, and the thought was whoever gets into the pool first when the waters ripple, whoever gets in first will be healed. Now, why is it that, if, again, I have the, uh, it's called the ESV uh, version, or sometimes I read of the NIV, but it's in a footnote. Why is it not actually in the text? And here's why. Is when the King James Version was translated from Greek to English, they had the manuscripts, they gathered the manuscripts of the Bible that were the best that they could find, and they translated it into English. And verse 4 was a part of it, what we just read about the stirring of the pool and whoever got in first. Well, as time went on, they and archaeologists and so forth have collected more and more manuscripts, and so they have a more and more accurate picture of what it was that John actually wrote down. And so the most reliable manuscripts, the ones that are the most frequent, that are earliest dated, don't actually have verse 4 in them, okay? And so what translators have done is they have put them as a footnote at the bottom, because that's an explanation of why there are all these people by the pool. Now, why did that get in the Bible in the first place? Or not the Bible, but why did that get in some manuscripts in the first place? And here's why. is probably somewhere along the line, somebody was translating this or making a copy from what John wrote, and they, in a well-meaning way, wanted to explain why is it that there are all these people around this pool? Because if you didn't know the history, if you didn't know the culture, you would just think, all these people are around the pool. That's weird. And then Jesus shows up. This is a sort of a parenthetical explanation of why these people are there. Now, the reason that they were there is because this pool was very close to a center dedicated to the, the god of Asclepius, okay? And that was a, a Greek god that was to believe, believed to be the god of healing. And so they were all sort of like, hey, if we get in this pool, maybe that's this Greek god kind of working, or maybe it's God the Lord, or maybe it's somebody else, but we think that if we get in here, we'll be healed. And so a result, all these people were putting their hope in this pool which would never really come through for them. And that's a great kind of reflection to our lives because a lot of times we put our hope in something that will never satisfy us. They were putting it in this pool and it would never really satisfy them. And even as you think about your own life, what are the things that you put your hope in and say, this is going to come through for me, this is going to come through for me? But they don't. Because the only thing that really can come through for us is God. And so along comes Jesus, verse 5, and it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. Again, put yourself, try and picture yourself in this story. If you were that man, that you had been an invalid, probably paralyzed in some way, for 38 years, what would your life have been like? having to rely on other people, having to beg for money because you couldn't keep a job, coming to the pool day after day after day saying, today's going to be my day, today's going to be my day, but today isn't your day, 38 years. Then it says this, 
When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? I mean, if that was you, what would your answer be? Yes, or duh, yes. You probably don't say duh to Jesus, but you know, you'd say, yes, I want to be healed. But that's not the answer that he gives. Listen to what he says. Verse 7. It says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. You see, he makes this excuse. He says, I want to get in, but I don't have anybody to help me in. Nobody here is, can help me in. You know, we're talking about praying this prayer of change me. But I think a lot of times what we do, instead of really praying authentically this prayer of change me, what we want to do is we want to kind of blame. We want to kind of look around and say, well, here's why my life is the way it is. Here's why I do what I do. Here's why I feel like I feel. And we think, you know, here's, and kind of looking at what are some of these other pools that we dive into to try and get healed. We think, if I just have enough willpower, just try really, really, really hard to stop doing this, then life will change. Or... Maybe we do a comparison thing. We say, well, my life isn't what it should be. It may not, it's certainly not what God wants it to be, but it's not as bad as that guy's life. Like my sin, what I see, it's not as bad as what that guy does. I've heard what he does. And we kind of do that comparison thing. Or sometimes we blame it on somebody else. We say, oh, it's their fault. And that's kind of what the man here was doing. He's saying, I'm having this problem, but it's somebody else's fault. So then it says this in verse 8. It says, Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took his bed and walked. Think about that guy's life. It was forever changed. That for 38 years he'd been an invalid, unable to walk, unable to care for himself, unable to be sort of independently living. And then in an instant, Jesus changes his life. He says, you're healed, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man was healed. And so that takes us to this question for us of change me. That man's life was changed, and we want our lives to be changed as well. So how does God go about doing that? Do we just say, change me, and then all of a sudden, in an instant, we're changed? How many of you uh, watch a TV show called The Office, out of curiosity? Okay, some of you. How many of you watch The Office, but you don't want to admit it in church? Okay, see a few more hands, right? Okay, so I don't love The Office, uh, but a couple of my kids really like The Office, and they quote it all the time and talk about it. I'm like, I don't really get that kind of humor. But there's really an interesting kind of analogy uh, from the TV show The Office that I saw this week in an episode. So it's an episode where uh, Michael, who's the star, uh, played by Steve Carroll, and he is having financial problems. And he's talking to his friends like, I'm not sure what to do with my financial problems. And so his friend says, here's what you need to do. You need to declare bankruptcy. And that will solve all of your financial problems. So Michael goes out in the main kind of office area where everybody has their cubes and so forth. And he stands there and he goes, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> and then a little bit later in the show, he's talking to somebody. And a guy comes in the office and he says, Michael, you can't just say bankruptcy and everything gets solved. 
And Michael goes, I didn't just say bankruptcy. I declared bankruptcy. But nothing changes. And you see, when it comes to change, sometimes we are under the misimpression that all we need to do is just say, Lord, change me. Oh, well, that didn't work. Oh, I need to declare it. Lord God Almighty, change me. You know, we'll go, did I change? No, I didn't change. You see, the thing is, is yes, God changes us, but it's not just we pray, God change me, and in an instant, we're changed. That there's a process that God takes us through as we continue to pray this. And so what I want us to do is look at this four-step process that we see that comes from this passage that we just read. And see, this is how God goes about changing us when we pray this change me prayer. Here's the first part. Change my solution. And this is what we talked about really throughout the whole morning, is that the change happens not because we look at ourselves, but we, the solution is with God. It's not about trying hard. It's not about more willpower. It's about do I see God and his power is the one who can change me? That we change the focus and put this, the solution is with Jesus. The solution is not with us. Here's the second thing, is change my focus. Change my focus. So often when we want change in our lives, what we want to pray is, Lord, change them. Like change those people around me that are making my life difficult. But here we say, we're going to change the focus and we're going to say, Change me instead of change others. Because we have this kind of this myth or this lie that goes through our brains that we think, you know, if my spouse would just change, then everything would get better. If my children, if they would make better decisions, then my life would change. Or we think, you know, if my parents would just chill out, then the solution would come and my life would be better. It would change or my boss, or my financial situation, or my job, or, or whatever. So we point, we say, change that. And we want to say, no, part of the change me prayer is instead of praying for that, we start by saying, change me. Change the focus of my prayers from others to ourselves. Here's the third one, is change my heart. Change my heart. You know, as I have prayed change me prayers over the years, as I have seen other people change, pray, change me prayers over the years. Here's kind of what I've discovered, that there are things about ourselves that we can change temporarily, you know, by our own willpower, by our own might for a time, maybe a short period of time, maybe a little bit longer period of time, that I can change the actions, the externals in my life. But what really lasting change when we say, God, change me, it's we ask God to change our hearts, that we ask God to change us from the inside out. And that when God changes our hearts, then the actions flow from who we are inside, from a changed heart. Instead of like, by, okay, I'm going to make myself do this. Instead of that, we have a heart that desires to do what is right, a heart that desires to follow in God's will. I'll give you an example from my own life. And last week, if you were here, I shared a bunch of junk about my own life, so I'm going to share something, a little more of a success story. I hope you'll kind of give me that freedom this morning. Um, but a number of years ago, I reached a point in my life where I was very frustrated with some things in my own life, 
where I could change them by willpower. Like for a time being, I could make these changes, but it was always temporary. There wasn't lasting change because my heart wasn't changed. It was just the behavior or the externals was, were changed. And so I began to pray that God would change my heart on these three different areas. And one of the areas, interesting enough, as it kind of dovetails with this message, is that I wanted God to change my heart when it came to prayer. That I wanted to have a heart and a desire that loves to pray, that looks forward to praying. I wanted to look forward to praying in the same way that I look forward to playing a tennis match or seeing a good movie. I wanted that to be my heart. And now I could force myself to pray. I could make myself sit down and pray, and, and it would be okay, and sometimes it would be good, and sometimes short, and sometimes long, but I wanted a heart that desires to pray. And so I began to pray every single day, Lord, change my heart. Lord, change my heart. Lord, give me desire to pray. Lord, make me want to pray. Lord, make me enjoy prayer. And I pray that over and over and over again. And God has answered that prayer. That most days, not every day, but almost every single day, I have a desire to pray and to be with God, to kneel at my couch and lift up my prayers before God. On Sunday morning, I get up and I take about a 20-minute walk and I look forward to that time. That God has changed my heart through this change me prayer because he's changed, my prayer life has changed because he's changed me from the inside out. Here's the fourth step, is change my steps. Change my steps. If you look back at the story, Jesus, it says this in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take, he says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. He doesn't say, get up and start running. He says, get up, go to a new place, go back home. Don't stand, sit here wallowing by the pool, being healed. Is step, get up, and take steps. And so for us, part of what it means to pray a change me prayer is that we work with God in responding to what he's doing and what he's revealing in our lives. There's a great verse in both Ephesians and also in Philippians where it ties these two things together, where it talks about that God works and we work, that God works in us and we work alongside of God. And so when we say, Lord, change me, we don't just stand there and wait for it, like, okay, change me, ah, uh, still kind of lusting, eh, still a bad financial situation, eh, still kind of anxious, that what we do is we take steps in God's word and where he wants us to go. Here's some practical kind of steps um, that really, no matter where you're talking about as far as change me, that they fit in, in steps to take. You know, one is just to be in God's word, to read God's word on a regular basis, to say, God, fill me up, show me. What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to meditate on today? What do you want me to think about today? To read God's word. You know, another part of it is in terms of just being around believers, around other Christians, as far as being around church. You know, part of the steps to take is to say, I'm going to be at church every Sunday. I'm going to make that decision once for all. If I'm out of town or if I'm sick, I won't come. But I'm not going to wake up and make a decision. Are we going to church today or are we not? Make that decision once and then go with it. That's a step. Being a part of a community group, of a ridge group, of a small group, where you've got people who are encouraging you, people who are sharing with you, people that can help you and challenge you to move on, hold you accountable. You know, another part of a step to take would be, you know, as you're sitting here, my hope is that God is bringing things to your mind that, you know, you say, reveal to me, 
And so you've got these things going through your mind. And then you're saying, change me, and these things are coming to your mind. And then there can be practical steps. Maybe God's bringing to you um, marriage. I, need to, I want my marriage to change. So you pray for yourself and then read a book on marriage. Or maybe there's stuff from your past that you're dealing with, and so you need to see a counselor. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction, and so you need to get an accountability partner. But you take those very practical steps. I want to give everybody one step, or maybe it's five steps um, for this week. If you look uh, on the, the bulletin you got when you came in, on the back of it, it says, uh, I think it says homework or something like that at the bottom. But there are five days. It says day one through day five, and each day has a verse to read. And each of those verses are a prayer. And each of those verses have something to do with a prayer to change our own lives. And I would encourage you to read one of those for each of the five next days as part of this effort, part of your role in asking God to change you. I want to close by addressing three groups of people very briefly. The first is this, is if you're not a Christian, the first step is to give your life to Christ. You know, all the stuff that we've talked about, it's really built on an assumption. And the assumption is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. That if you're not a Christian, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then trying to do all this stuff is really kind of doesn't work very well at all, right? Because what happens is when we give our lives to Christ, we say, I receive Christ as my Savior. He takes his sin upon the cross. And at that point, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and dwells in me. And he is my guide and my counselor and my comforter. And he reveals my sin to me. That that's an essential part of it. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do that as your first step. And then let me know or write on your Connect card. We'd love to help you get started in this new journey. Here's the second group of people. If you're here this morning and you are a new believer, you haven't been following Jesus that long, maybe a month, maybe three months, maybe a year or so, whatever, you know, whatever if you kind of self-classify yourself as I'm new to following Christ, then for you, every day, just pray, show me my, reveal to me my life, search me, and then change me. Just pray that. And because here's the thing is, God accepts us wherever we are. No matter where you are, when you come to Christ, you come completely forgiven. But then God doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us to continue to grow. And so just pray, God, show me the next step. Change me. Show me the next step. And then here's the third group of people that I want to talk to. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know, five years, 10 years, 22 years, 80 years, your whole life, whatever it is, but if you would say, I'm fairly mature in my walk with Christ, not in a prideful way, but just in sort of a, a length of time and, and where you are, this would be my challenge to you, is that as we've talked about revealing our sin, as we've asked God to reveal our sin, the chances are that there's something that has come up that the Holy Spirit has brought into your mind that you would say, I should be over this. I should be finished with it. I should be beyond falling back to this same sin or falling into this same trap or this same deceit. I should be past that. And if that's you, this is my challenge, is every single day for the next 30 days, pray that God would change that one thing. Maybe there's two things, but probably just pick one thing. But for 30 days, say, God, change this in my life. Kind of like I prayed, God, change me from the inside out when it comes to prayer. But whatever it is, 
Every day, pray, God, change me. For 30 days, do that. Because God is in the business of changing lives. God wants your life to change so that you would honor him and you would walk with him and you would have the fullness of an intimate relationship with him. That's what God wants for your life. And so you join him in that by praying, Lord, change me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you just for the opportunity to worship, to take communion, to celebrate forgiveness. Uh, And God, as we move forward, help us to be consistent in this prayer. And God, we do ask that you would change us, that you would work in our hearts, that you would help us and show us the steps to take that we might honor you with every part of our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.